Good morning. It's uh, good to see everybody, and uh, very sobering, right, to see what's happening in Turkey and Syria. Thank you for just taking a few moments to pray uh, over those countries. Yeah, no, let's just continue to remember them uh, in our prayers. Um, hey, uh, if you don't know who I am, my name is Joshua. I'm uh, one of the pastors here. And it's so good to be with you this morning. It's good to see you. I also just want to say uh, welcome to anybody who's tuning in online. Great to have you. Um, and uh, Pastor Brent, if you missed it, launched us into a new series last week called Jesus Culture. And for the next 19 weeks, I know that feels like a long time, but I have a feeling it'll go pretty quick. We're going to be challenged and stretched and dig into the greatest sermon that was ever given by Jesus Christ, the Sermon on the Mount. And I just got to tell you guys, if you missed Pastor Brent's message from last Sunday, you have got to go give it a watch. It was so good. And it set the tone, you guys, for this entire series so well. And it just, it struck a chord with me. And so I just want to strongly encourage you, if you missed that, please go out and, and watch that message online. Brent did a great job. Well, today I get to talk about Jesus teaching on salt and light. And we're going to be looking at Matthew 5, 13 through 16 in this phrase, right? albeit familiar to us, is that Christians are supposed to be salt and light. That's like 101 basic stuff. But we often forget about this. And sometimes we need to be reminded, be salt and light. It should seem obvious, but sometimes it's not. And can I just be honest with you guys? There's a lot of things in life that I feel like should be obvious. And uh, I always get a kick out of uh, silly warning labels. Have you guys seen these? Like things that are like, that should be obvious. Why is that on a label? Let me give you a few examples, okay? On a hairdryer, a warning label said, do not use while sleeping. Seems, seems pretty obvious. How about this one? On a kid's Superman costume, it said, warning, wearing of this garment does not enable you to fly. <laughs> Again, I think that's obvious. How about this one? On children's, by the way, children's cough syrup, do not drive or operate heavy machinery. <laughs> I don't know what your kids did when they were little, but mine did not operate heavy machinery. Okay, how about <clears throat> Nitol? Nitol is a sleep aid, okay? It said this, warning may cause drowsiness. <laughs> I'm pretty sure that's why I bought it, you know, to help me with that. Okay, then we just get silly, okay? On a package of peanuts, it said, warning, contains nuts. <laughs> and then probably, probably my favorite. Do not hold wrong end of chainsaw while operating. <laughs> Right? Things, things that should be obvious, but they not always are. You know what is obvious? Christians are supposed to be salt and light. Sometimes we forget. Sometimes we forget, listen to this, that how we conduct our lives matters. This is the heart behind Jesus' teaching to be salt and light. So here's what we're going to do. We're going to look at the text together, but I want us to interact with the text today. So as we read the text, I'm going to read it. Anytime that you see a word in all caps, I want you guys to speak that word out loud. You got it? So read with me. 
Anytime you see a word in all caps, I want you to speak that word. Ready? Let's take a look at this. Here we go. You are the salt of the earth. But if the salt should lose its taste, how can it be made? Salty. It's no longer good for anything but to be thrown out and trampled under people's feet. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Thank you. Okay, let's start with salt. Let's talk about salt for a minute. When we think of salt, we think, well, it makes things tasty, right? That's a typical first thing that comes to mind. First thing that comes to my mind is, well, we're meant, right, to bring flavor to the earth. Okay, that's not a bad idea, but not necessarily the best way to see it. Jesus, let's be honest, he doesn't really give us details about what he means in regards to salt, but there are some likely reasons he uses the reference of salt. Now, the best way for us to understand something like this is to ask this question. This is just good, a good practice. I was taught early in Bible school. Here's the question you should ask. What did it mean to the original hearers? In other words, if you were sitting there 2,000 years ago listening to Jesus talk, what would be Jesus' underlying principle? What is he getting at? And then how do we apply that, right, to today? So what did it mean to the original hearers? Okay, when they heard the word salt, they knew salt was incredibly valuable. In fact, we, they probably saw it as way more valuable than we do today. In fact, the word salary comes from the same root word as the word salt. Maybe you've heard someone even say before that a person is not worth his or her salt. That's kind of harsh, but you get the idea. And again, we've got to ask, what did the disciples hear when he said that? What was he getting at? Well, here's one thing the original audience would have known for sure. Salt preserves. Salt preserves. I think we know this, but we don't typically think of it salt that way. But think just for a moment about beef jerky, okay? Beef jerky is one of the greatest creations in the world, okay? It's terrible for the teeth in the colon, but man, it is amazing for the taste buds. Can we just get, can I get an amen on that? Thank you. Love beef jerky. It's meat that will last forever. Okay, why? Because it's been preserved with salt. Jesus said, you are the salt of the earth. Salt preserves things. It makes them able to be consumed later. Now, when Jesus used the word salt, he calls us to be preservative agents in a world that has gone rotten. Can I say that again? We're called to be preservative agents when the world goes rotten. Now, here's our tendency. And I think every generation does this to some degree, right? We, every generation says this, man, the world is so bad, you guys. It's so rotten. Like, it's worse now than it's ever, ever been. How many of you have ever heard someone say that? Okay, can I just speak to that for a moment? First of all, how could anybody possibly know that? But second of all, guys, the world has always been rotten. 
From the moment sin entered the world, it has been rotten. Let me just put it in perspective for you. If you lived in 64 AD and you were tortured and persecuted and killed for your faith because you were a Christian, I'd say that's pretty rotten. Or perhaps 1348, when the bubonic plague swept across Europe and North Africa, killing between 75 to 200 million people. I think that's pretty rotten. How about 1619, when ships began to bring African slaves against their will to North America? I think that's pretty rotten. Or how about 1944, when a crazed dictator wanted to rule the world and almost a half a million Jews were murdered in Auschwitz. Sounds pretty rotten. No matter when you've lived, the world has always been rotten. But listen, throughout it all, Christians have been called to be preservative agents, no matter how bad it gets. That's Jesus' call for us. And this has always been God's call to his people. Let me show you this. From the beginning of time, God has called his people to be preservative agents. Let's go way back in time and think for a moment about the nation of Israel. They were captured and carried into exile by a supernation called Babylon. Now, I would imagine that in the middle of that, in the middle of their sufferings, they're probably saying the same thing that we say today. This is terrible. This is terrible. It doesn't get any worse than this. This is as rotten as it gets. How were we supposed to live? What did God call them to do in the midst of the rottenness? I want you to hear what God himself said to the Israelites in the middle of that rottenness. This is Jeremiah 29. Listen. This is what the Lord Almighty, the God of Israel, says to all those I, don't miss that, I carried into exile from Jerusalem to Babylon. Here's what he says. Build houses and settle down. Plant gardens and eat what they produce. Marry and have sons and daughters. Find wives for your sons and give your daughters in marriage so they too may have sons and daughters. Increase in number there. Do not decrease. Also, seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I have carried you into exile. Pray to the Lord for it, the city, because if it prospers, you too will prosper. Do you know what I'm saying? No matter how bad it gets, live life. It says all those I carried into exile, by the way. Did you see that? Don't miss that. that. This moment that we're in, okay, no matter how bad it seems, is not a surprise to the Lord. And the moment we're in, guess what? It doesn't pause what he's called us to live out which is to be salt and light. Friends, God allows things for a purpose. In the midst of the world we live, he's still sovereign. So what does he tell them to do? Build houses, plant gardens, get married, have kids, grow your families, live life. And then don't miss the other part, because I think this speaks to salt and light. Seek the peace and prosperity of the city to which I carried you, because if it prospers you too will prosper. No matter what's happening around us, guys, we are called to be salt. It's the same thing God has called us to do for the past 2,000 years. And you know what? We're going to keep doing it until Jesus comes back. It's that simple. 
God was still present in their rotten days, and he's still present in our rotten days. And he told them, just like he tells us, seek the peace and the prosperity of the city you live in. That's our call. Be a preservative agent, you guys, right where you're planted, for the betterment and welfare of the city and your neighbors. That's what it means to preserve like salt. So 2,000 years ago, right, they would have heard uh, salt, and they would have known, well, that's a preservative. They also would have known that salt heals. Did you guys know this? I didn't know this. I learned something new this week. Listen to this. Salt heals. We don't think of it that way because we don't use it that way. But even today, people around the world use salt as an antiseptic or a healing agent. There's actually a really weird... Don't strike me, Lord. There's a really weird verse in the Bible. It's not weird, but it's, if you read it, you're like, that's odd. In Ezekiel, to this, let's look at what it says in Ezekiel. On the day you were born, your cord was not cut, nor were you washed with water to make you clean, nor were you rubbed with salt or wrapped in cloths. Now, I know that seems really strange to rub a baby with salt when the baby's born, but they did that in biblical times because it actually had a very significant antiseptic value. And in Middle Eastern countries still around the world today, people still do this. People used to bathe their babies in salt when they were born to protect them from infection. And they're still doing it today in parts of the Middle East. I didn't know that. Many times, you guys, I think as Christians, we, we can live in a way that can bring division. And now, I'm not saying that we shouldn't stand up for things that matter, okay? But how we do this matters. We don't want to be known as the people who are always yelling and shaking our fists and we're upset about our neighbors because they're different from us. At times, I think we get caught up in this idea that we're in this war that we need to win because I'm right and you're wrong. But I think what we don't realize is that when we, we come across that way, we inflict hurt and pain on others around us. And honestly, we're not being true salt. What being salt tells us is that we should live our lives in such a way to bring healing to those around us. The original audience, guys, they would have known this. We're called to be a healing balm that soothes the wounds of sin and ushers in peace. It ushers in a new kingdom, a new way of living. This means, you guys, we have an incredible opportunity to love our neighbors, to listen to their stories, to care for the poor and the outcast, meeting practical needs with no sense of obligation. Why? Because we simply love people and we love Jesus Christ. It's that simple. God calls us to be salty. Why? So he can stem the infection and the rot around us. Some of that's the culture. I know. I get it, you guys. Some of that is sin. But that's what we're called to do, to bring healing. Jesus also gives a caution here. I find this interesting. He gives a caution, and he says salt needs to stay salty. Salt needs to stay salty. Jesus' caution here, it's interesting because he says if the salt loses its saltiness, how can it be made salty again? Now, I think, and, and I'm in this boat too sometimes, I think many Christians and churches, we've lost some of that salt. 
Maybe, maybe that person or that church has changed their proclamation of being gospel-focused. Maybe they moved away from things that the Bible teaches. And what happens is, guess what? When the salt's not present, unsalted food is more susceptible. And it can experience that rot that we talked about. Now, I think it's interesting is that, that salt actually can't lose its taste in a literal sense. But what Jesus is hinting at is that salt can become diluted. You see, what happens is if salt gets diluted by a bunch of other things, the flavor of those things lowers the level of saltiness. The salt loses its potency. It, it, it has a taste, but it can lose that salty taste. It loses that zing. You know what I'm talking about? And so it is today. I, I think the salt of some people who deeply love Jesus has become diluted. just got to say this, you guys. All you got to do is go on social media for just a few minutes, and, and you find that person who just, just rants, and they're like, that person's stupid, and this group is dumb, and this group is wrong, and it just goes on and on. And then as you scroll, you get to their like ninth post, and they talk about how Jesus, Jesus changed my life. Or they share some cool spiritual truth that they learned. And that ninth post becomes this incredible opportunity to invite people to trust and maybe follow, even follow Jesus. But their saltiness has, has become diluted because their social media has been driven by something else. And when we focus on momentary issues that don't have eternal weight, our effectiveness to be agents of preservation and healing has now diminished. So how about you? How about me? I'm with you guys. I am not immune to this. I got to ask myself this question. I got to ask us all this question. Ask yourself, have you allowed anything, bad habits, certain behaviors, negative attitudes or mindsets? Have you allowed those things into your life that you know it's diluting your ability to be seasoning to those around you? I think we got to ask ourselves that question. You know, Pastor Tyler and I were talking about that this week, and I just, I love Tyler so much, and he reminded me of Colossians 4. And I want you to see this because it was so timely. It said this, be wise in the way you act toward outsiders, making the most of every opportunity. Let your conversation be always full of what? Grace. Now, do you see what it says next? Seasoned with salt. So that you may know how to answer everyone. You talk about a perfect verse, you guys, for living out salt. That's powerful. Well, the same way, you guys, that salt is a preservative that holds back decay, light illuminates darkness. And this is, this is the rest of the passage. It's so powerful. Now, before we look at it, okay, I want us to come back to the question. I'm going to read it again, but I want you to picture what was the image that the original hearers would have heard. Let's just keep that in mind, okay? Let me just read it again. You are the light of the world. A city situated on a hill cannot be hidden. No one lights a lamp and puts it under a basket, but rather on a lampstand, and it gives light 
for all who are in the house. In the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your Father in heaven. Guys, here's my first point. Light, it illuminates what is true. Light illuminates what is true. Think for a moment. Okay, just picture yourself for a moment. You wake up in the middle of the night without flicking the lights on, and you got to make your way to another room or downstairs. What happens, right? If you're like me, right, you don't turn, you stumble around, you kind of grope in the dark, and if you're like me and my host, you accidentally step on the dog bone barefoot, and man, does that hurt. I bang my shin into the coffee table. I run into a chair because I don't have any light to show me what is true around me. So I stumble. But when I flick the lights on, right, now I can see my surroundings. I can now discern what is true. Jesus says, you are the light of the world. Friends, we are to stand for what is true. We're to illuminate and bring clarity to the world around us so that we can help others stumble less. But I think our idea of illuminating what is true, I think it's gotten a bit construed. We're picturing the wrong mode of light. I think it's really easy on our part to modernize this concept of light. And you know what I tend to think of right away? Flashlight. Flashlight. But the original hearers of this text, they would have had no concept of electricity or light bulbs or flashlights. None of that. Friends, what would they have had? Don't tell the fire marshal. flame. You see, when Jesus says, you are the light of the world, he's calling us to represent truth. But what we often do is we use this gift, this gift of light, that, of truth that we've been given, and we use it like the flashlight. And we know what we do? We point the flashlight on people that are different than us, and we like to point out their flaws, and we say, shame on you, shame on you, shame on you. You're wrong, you're wrong, you're wrong, you're stupid, you're dumb. You know what we do? We use the light more like an interrogation tool rather than illuminating the truth. Friends, using the light that we've been given, like a flashlight, you know what it is? It's abrasive. It's condemning and it's judgmental. A flame is different. God, can we agree? There's just something about a flame. There's something about it that's soothing and calm. I mean, be it lighting a candle or sitting by a fireplace. Man, there's just something comforting about a flame. Now, the people back in Jesus' day, they would have understood this. This is the picture they would have had in their head. And I got to ask us, as you think about representing the light, representing Jesus Christ. I got to ask you, are you acting more like the flashlight 
abrasive and condemning? Or are you calm and soothing to those around you like a flame? Well, here's another thing about the flame. It's not one directional. I can only put the flashlight on one spot. It only illuminates so much. But the flame, the flame, it illuminates everything around it. It doesn't just illuminate a spot. It doesn't just illuminate you. It illuminates me as well. A flame also does not lie, friends. If it illuminates a person, guess what? It illuminates the good and the bad. And guess what? The truth comes out. So we need to be a people that lives in the truth. You know what the Bible says? This is a theme. It says, walk in the light. That is a theme throughout all of Scripture. Walk in the light. Guess what? Even if it hurts. It may be true that someone is being a jerk to you, but the truth will also illuminate that I'm being a jerk back. I'm going to be totally transparent with you and share a really ugly moment in, in my life recently. And I'm not proud of this, but, but I, I believe God really used it to kind of <laughs> call me back into the light and to make it right. Uh, some of you know we did this really big event back in October called Trunk or Treat. It was huge. It was awesome. We had thousands of people come. Uh, but because it was uh, Halloween-themed, uh, we needed a lot of candy. And I mean, like, a lot of candy. And so I ran to Costco to, to get a load, to, to pick up a load of candy. And I get there, and I load, and of course, it's busy, because it's Costco. It's always busy. So I load the cart up, and I get in line with my huge cart of candy, and I wait, and I wait, and guys, I'm just, I'm just getting crabbier, and I'm getting irritated because I still have 30 things to get done in the day. I, uh, I hate crowds. And I get to the front of the line, and the guy starts to scan the candy. He gets through 10 bags of candy and says, I'm sorry, sir, I can only sell you 10 bags of candy. <laughs> what? I'm like, wait a second. I was just back there. There are three pallets this high full of candy. Why can't you sell me more than 10? And he's like, I'm sorry, there's, just, there's a limit per day. And so I started to just... Guys, I'm so embarrassed. I was rude to this guy. I was, I was not kind. And I just gave him attitude. And then I made it worse. I said, I said, come on, man, this is for a church event. <laughs> so now I not only made myself look rude, I made the church look rude. And so I was like, fine. So I storm out with my 10 bags of candy, and I just felt, and, I, and it just was like, Ugh! I load the candy in my car, and I drive away. And then that's when God starts to go to work on me. He's like, you were a jerk. I'm like, come on, it wasn't that bad. He's like, you're going to go back and apologize. And I said, what? I am not. I'm like, Lord, that's ridiculous. I mean, the guy probably doesn't even remember me at this point. It's like a day or two later, he's like, you're going to go back and apologize. <sighs> okay, fine. I'm going to go back because we need a few things for our house. <laughs> and if he's there, then I'll do it. But God, if he's not there, you can't say I didn't try. That was my little, right? So I go back a couple days. I grab the things that I need. I, Sure enough... 
there he is at the longest line register in Costco. So I get in line with my things, and I'm feeling silly the whole time, and I'm wrestling, and I'm like, this is, this is just ridiculous. Lord, he's not even going to remember. He's like, you need to apologize. And I'm like, why? He's like, do you want to walk in the light or not? <sighs> yes. Yes, I do. So I get to the front of the line, and I'm feeling silly, and I'm like, hey, man. I'm like, <sighs> I don't know if, if you remember me, but I was here a couple days. And this is what he says. Oh, yeah, you're the guy that needed the candy for the church. <laughs> yeah, yeah, that, that was me. Yeah, and I, I just said, dude, I just got to tell you, I am, I'm so sorry. I said, you know what, man, I was, I was a jerk to you. I was rude. And I needed to come back and say I'm sorry. And, he, and you could see his, his shoulders drop. You could see a smile split his face. And he sticks his hand out and says, no worries, man, I forgive you. And at that point, I was like so moved. I'm like, dude, I need to give you a hug. So I like, I go around the side of the thing. And then we do, you know, like one of the bro hugs. I boom, you know, one of those. And I give the guy a bro hug. But here's the moment. And I did the bro hug. When I looked up, the entire line of people is looking at us. And if the look on their face is like, what is going on? Okay, and here's, here's my point. Like, Jesus calls us to do good deeds, to let our light shine. And, and, it, and sometimes it means just that, right? Good deeds. Help sweet ladies cross the street. Bring your neighbors cookies. Serve the homeless. Go on a mission trip. Those are great good deeds, right? But, I wonder if we need to broaden our definition of good works. Maybe good works is living out authenticity. Maybe it's saying, I'm sorry. Maybe it's living with humility. Guys, what did Brent say was one of the keys to the kingdom of heaven last week? Humility. Maybe it's holding your tongue when you want to say something that will divide and hurt someone. Can I, are those not good works too? I think they are. As I was thinking about this this week, I found this verse in Isaiah. I came across this verse. This this is what God says to, to his people. I will look favorably on this kind of person. One who is humble, submissive in spirit, and trembles at my I wish I could tell you that I trembled when God said, you're going to go back and apologize. But I trembled enough that I knew I had to do it. I knew I had to do it. Friends, what if by displaying our humility and being real and genuine and authentic, people actually see the light that shines in us? And that's the thing they're attracted to. That's the thing that gives us the opportunity to say, let me tell you more about my true God. It's something to think about. Man, I wish I had way more time to spend on talking about the light, but I'm going to close with this point. And that's this, guys. Light illuminates the way home. Jesus said in verse 14, you are the light of the world. A city 
situated on a hill cannot be hidden. You light that city up for everyone to see. I believe when we are intentional about being light in a dark world, it points the way to the city of God that is lit up. You know what? I think it points others to heaven. And we have to, we have to shine our light, as Jesus said, like a city on a hill for everyone to see it. Not so that they'll think, oh, you're, you're wonderful. No, man. But so they'll see our good deeds. And he said, and they'll praise our Father in heaven. Then guess what? Maybe, just maybe, they'll find their way home as well. Friends, being the light is our way of pointing others home. This world is not our final destination. Our actual home is the afterlife. That is a truth. And I want to use my light to point others to an eternal home in heaven. There's a guy named Peter, kind of a famous dude, one of Jesus' followers, and he was writing to his, his brothers and sisters. And I want you to hear what he said in 1 Peter 2. He said, Dear brothers and sisters, you are only visitors here. Since your real home is in heaven, I beg you to keep away from the evil pleasures of those world of the world. The things that will dilute your salt, they're not for you, for they fight against your very souls. Be careful how you behave among your unsaved neighbors, for then, even if they raise an eyebrow at you, they're suspicious of you and talk against you, they will end up praising God for your good works. Does that sound familiar? Does that sound like something maybe Jesus said just a few years prior to Peter when he was teaching on the mount? They will end up praising God for your good works when Christ returns. Guys, God does not hate the world. I think sometimes we feel like God hates the world. No, God does not hate the world. He loves the world. He loves it so much that he set his son for it. That's what John 3.16 is all about. God loves the world. He still loves the world. And he wants to love the world through you, through us. That's what it means to be salt and light. It feels so basic, right? It's Christianity 101 stuff. But here's the opportunity for us to say right now, Lord, here I am. Send me. I am ready to be salt and light. Guys, the world needs to know. And we got to go. I'm just kidding. I just, we need to go. So friends, let's choose to be salt and light today. And let's trust God with the future. Amen? Amen. Would you join me in a word of prayer? Heavenly Father, my prayer is simple. <laughs> Make us more salty. This biblical idea of being preservative agents, of being healers, maintaining our level of truth with grace and compassion and love. And Lord, help us to be light to a world that can seem dark sometimes. Lord, not so it's just this, hey, look at those people. No, Lord, so that we have an opportunity to say, look at our great God. Come along and be a part of this.
because God loves you. So Lord, I pray for all of us, everyone in this room, everyone watching online, I pray that this week we would have an opportunity to live out being salt and light. And Lord, I pray that you would use it for your glory so that we can point others towards Jesus Christ. We pray this in his strong name and all God's people said.